welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can. The wisdom to know the difference. Thy will and my be done. Okay, my name is Chaim and I am a grateful recovering sexaholic. Um, I start off by saying I am extremely grateful. This week I celebrated being in recovery for 13 years. And um, there's, no, there's no words for that. My life changed 13 years ago. 13 years ago I walked into this um, fellowship. It lost, confused, miserable uh, soul. And yet, I really, really intuitively believed I had all the answers, and I intuitively believed that um, I have this problem on the side, I can't stop watching porn and masturbating. And I like women, I'm a horny bastard. It's as simple as that. And if, if you could get rid of this horniness, if you could get rid of my lust, then life would be good. And I surely came to realize that as you taught me that my problem wasn't lust or sex, but my problem was, that was my solution to my problem. That was my solution to my problem. My problem was life. And I didn't know how to live life. I didn't know how to to conduct myself appropriately. I didn't know how to deal with um, any feelings or emotions. So what I did is I went to lust and sex. As that fell, life came much stronger up to the surface. And I didn't know how to cope with life. That's the long and the short of it. Today's topic of of sex, marriage, intimacy, it's it's I I just want to preempt by saying I'm I'm talking about my experience, strength and hope. This is my story, my experience from 13 years being in this program. This is not uh, a path or a way for everybody. This is what I've witnessed and what I've seen. And more importantly, these are my mess-ups. These are my mess-ups. I wish, I wish when I came into recovery, I wish somebody would have shared with me what I'm sharing. I wish I would have known this information, it would have saved me an enormous amount of pain and anguish and, and confusion. So we'll begin with um, when I got married, when I got married, I really truly intuitively believed that my problem with lust and women and sex will disappear. That was the fact. I finally had my partner, I finally could have sex, and life would get better. 
if I'm really honest with you, there was a voice inside of me that said, this ain't fixing nothing. <laughs> it's, it's not going to help. And there was that conflicting feeling when I look back. On one hand, on one hand, I could get sex when I want. On the other hand, this, this ain't working. I shortly realized a few weeks after being married, literally a few weeks after being married, that I'm back to porn, back to masturbation. I never will forget the first time I watched porn after being married. I felt like I cheated on my wife. I felt like there's no hope for me. And um, there wasn't. I was of the hopeless type. The big book talks about it. The readings talk about it. I was really of the hopeless type. I need my drug and I am willing to die for it. And that, um, and that caused a lot of confusion in my marriage. Working the program for 13 years and being involved in recovery and being involved in and, and seeing and going through the ups and downs of, of recovery, I came to realize that <coughs> sex is not only not the solution to my problem, Sex is also not the problem, <coughs> but my problem, my ultimate problem is called self-will. That is my problem. My problem is that when I have a will or a want or a need in my brain, I cannot say no. That is my problem. So here you have it. This guy gets married at the age of 22, and I am... A good guy, in a sense. <laughs> a really good guy. But I, I need sex. I need sex. And now you gave me a partner to have sex with. But I'm full of self-will. So when I want it, how I want it, where I want it, how am I supposed to stop? I remember being at one of my first um, conventions and an old-timer got up there. And this like sticks with me all the time. An old timer got up there and said, imagine if we wrecked our wives and we wrecked ourselves with alcohol. Imagine we really destroyed ourselves with sex, lust, the way an alcoholic does. Like when you visualize the alcoholic was sitting on the park bench and he's begging just for another shot and he's looking at you, man, could I just get a dollar? And he's trying to get another small little shot. That was me when it came to sex and lust. <coughs> Imagine the abuse that alcoholic has put on his wife, not in regards to her, but in regards to alcohol, the wreckage that came with it. And then we tell the guy, every once in a while, you can take your wife to a bar for a healthy drink. And you're gonna figure out how to drink healthily you're gonna figure out how to communicate in the bar. You're gonna know what to drink, how to drink. If you told that to, to, to the woman, the woman would die. She wouldn't be able to live with herself. To take a step back, if we're rigorously honest, if we take a fearless and moral inventory, and you think that's the beauty of the fourth step, we take a fearless and moral inventory. That means we, we hold back nothing. 
I've shamed my wife, I belittled my wife, I made her to feel like she's not enough. <coughs> I made her to feel like if she was sexier, hotter, dressed a certain way, if she acted a certain way, if she gave off a certain way, if she looked a certain way, a certain type of shoes, a certain type of makeup, if she, if she smiled at me a certain way, I gave her that feeling of very simple, of you are not enough for me. And in reality, I was fighting for my life. Like I said, I'm full of self-will. I need a certain amount of sex and lust to cope on this world. And she has that power to give it to me. And she's not giving it to me. What the hell am I supposed to do? You know what I tell her to do? Let's do it healthily. If that's a word. Let's try to figure this out. Let's drink together. Once a week, once every two weeks, twice a week. Let's figure out how to go to the bar together and drink. It's complicated. It's not only complicated, in a sense it's abusive. It's very abusive. Imagine I was hurt and beaten and shamed by my wife and belittled in, in the fact that she... Something that really like gets to me. I have trauma around, let's say, learning, right? Hebrew studies. And imagine she said, hey, I want to sit down and, and learn with you once a week. Let's, let's, let's open up. Let's open up a bunch of books together and we'll study and we'll, we'll, do, it, we'll do it in a healthy way. The asking of it, it could be traumatizing and abusive. But when I'm full of self-will, who really cares what's standing in my way? I found through mistakes, not through victories. The mistakes end up turning into victories. But through an enormous amount of mistakes of me abusing my wife and shaming her into giving me sex and belittling her and threatening her and asking for it. My wife said last night in therapy, asking for sex in the most polite, comfortable, gentle, caring, loving way, but knowing in my heart, this is her talking, the Chaim just needs sex. Which in English is called passive aggressive abuse. And it's not for, for intimacy, it's not for true love, it's not for union, it's not because you intuitively love me. It's very simple. In Harvey's words, to get graphic, it's using a woman's vagina for masturbation. Using a woman's vagina for masturbation. It's just absolutely um, insane. I came to recognize in recovery, again, I, I just, before I say that, I want to take a step back. I came to recognize, before I, before I came into recovery, I thought sex was the most disgusting wrong thing in the world and yet I worshipped it my old ideas have to go out the window the idea of sex is the most disgusting and ugly and wrong thing in the world <coughs> I learned in program is, is, is not true everything that God created in this world he created for a purpose sex is one of those purposes that he created in this world for two reasons to either populate the world or to give people enjoyment on this world. 
So imagine I asked Shia today, hey, you want to go out to eat? And he says, no. And I'm like, no, I'll go to a restaurant that you really like. And he says, no, I'm busy today. No, I'll, I'll, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we're going to sit down together and eat and we'll really enjoy ourselves. I'll pay for it. He goes, no. <laughs> Can you just go out with me? <laughs> if at one point, imagine you watching this conversation, you're like on the sideline, right? In reco- at one point, you'd be like, hey, she, you want to come here? I want to talk to you. You would actually take him away from me. And I'm simply asking him if he wants to go out to eat. I'm not asking him to get vulnerable, undress himself. I'm not asking him to, to, to get into a place of true ultimate connection. I'm asking to eat a Danish for crying out loud in a, in a store or to have scrambled eggs. <clears throat> but after asking it and asking it at one point, it's crossing boundaries and it's very hurtful. For me, going out to eat might be enjoyable, but if he doesn't want to go out, then I'm enjoying myself while harming somebody else. I never was able to even see this. I never even realized it. And then I would start with, but you don't understand, if you were me, I'm a man, every man is deserving of it, don't you know that every guy gets laid numerous times a day except for us, because you don't want to have sex, whether I say it or feel it or make it up in my head. You know when you come home and you just know that there's like something off with your wife? You know that she, there's something off? You know, what it lives to, you know what it means to live with someone that there's like, this, she just has a tenseness or a discomfort and you pick up on it right by just opening the door? We have it even in business. It's like you could realize in the first minute of the conversation that you have with the person on the other line, like, is the person really want to do a deal with you or this is going to be one of those that you're going to have to push and pulling the... Is this going to be comfortable or not? It's very simple. You know, it's for a woman to come home and just know my husband has one thing on his mind all day. He just wants sex. And I just don't because I was hurt by it and belittled and shamed and traumatized. I came to recognize in program that one of the places I don't want to go to is this place. I don't want to go to a place of being honest, rigorously honest with myself, with my sexual relationship with my wife, how much abuse I've done to her. Because if I go there, then you know what I'm left with, very interestingly enough? I can't have sex. Possibly. Or... That's what my disease brain tells me. I really have to work a very strong program in order to have healthy sex. Again, I could do two things. I could continue doing what I'm doing, shaming my wife into wanting to have sex, belittling her into wanting to have sex, confusing her into wanting to have sex, forcing her into wanting to have sex. I needed, the end result needs to be I get sex. Okay, so there's no, I don't, I don't leave the meeting, let's call it in business, until there's a signed contract. Until we're having sex, there's no, there's no way out the door. There's, there's another option. I have to work a program to the level of not doing this. Now that takes work. That means commitment to coming to meetings. 
commitment to doing step work, commitment to sponsors, sponsees, commitment to, to stay sober, a willingness to die before acting out. There's a lot to go on. Oh, let me not, let me not um, forget a real, real key point over here. Imagine if, uh, if I took like a significant action of lust, or a action of lust. Lust, if we, lust, the definition of taking an action of lust means that my body produces a need for sex. So, <laughs> I walk around during the day, I do my regular thing, and then I took in some lust, whether flirting with a girl, whether it's clicking on the computer, whether it's checking an email that I'm not supposed to, I took in an action of lust. That brought me to a place of needing now to have sex. I walked into a bakery, I got all the smells, <coughs> I feel the juices, I feel the saliva in my mouth, I'm not sure if I want cinnamon or chocolate, I'm not sure if I, exactly what flavor I want, but I know I want a lot of cookies and cake and stuff. I, I know I want but I can't have any of it, none of it in the store, because I'm in Sexaholics Anonymous, and I know I'm not supposed to even have walked into the bakery. I know it's really problematic that I even am here, but my juices are energized, and now, you know what I do? I come home. You think my wife doesn't pick up on that? You gotta, you gotta be retarded not to. I'm basically a hulk in a, in, a, in, a, in a sex object. I'm ready to pounce. It's, by the way, very not attractive. And for, unfortunately, on and off for years, we do this, especially in early recovery, whether we're aware of it or not. Because it's very simple. We're just so wired up this way. A gift that my sponsor gave me was he took away my sobriety twice in very early recovery for very, very strongly me manipulating my wife for sex. It says in the white book, I showed him sex with um, spouse is, con- is, is considered staying sexually sober. <coughs> and my wife told me having sex with spouse in a form of masturbation in your wife's vagina without her being there is not called having intimacy and not having sex with your wife. You had sex with yourself, you happen to have to need your wife. And that really, um, like, really, like, honed in, like, the, I, I cannot not have sex with her if, because I'm, uh, I, I'm full of energy and full of need for sex. And I remember like that light switch going off in my head. I'm going to have to work a very strong program to lessen the tension, the need, the desires for sex. I'm, I, I can't lust on the street. I can't take actions on the computer because when I do, I'm going to really need my wife. And I have not done this perfect, not even close. What I'm sharing is my struggles of not doing this correctly and hurting my wife as a result, and confusing our relationship. Where on one hand she sees as such a, such a uh, good and safe and normal and, and healthy husband who's treating her like a queen after seriously working the program, but on the flip side, 
Sex is so complicated and confusing. And some things that sometimes we don't talk about in this program is sex, which married men have. And the other thing we don't talk about is the struggle of it. I'm going to the bar with somebody who I abused. And by the way, I'm taking to the bar the, the, the alcoholic also, I forget. The alcoholic who's addicted is going to the bar. And I needed to do a lot, a lot, a lot of work on this topic. A lot of work. And one of the first things I would say is page 68 in the big book. is extremely, extremely, extremely important to read numerous times. I would suggest anybody who has any difficulty in any form of, of their relationship with their wife is to read that, that, those few pages in the big book when it comes to sex. He says straight out, now about sex. He's talking to the alcoholic, explaining to him how, how confusing the sex world is. And that's to alcoholics who are not, that, that their main MO or their MO is not sex. Until, until you stay sober from alcohol. <laughs> and then you realize, some of them, some of them realize that there's more, the same way we stay sober sometimes from sex and realize we have other issues. I want to just ground myself for a second over here talking about this topic. It's like, we're, we're talking about our wives. I think sometimes, because we're in a program of Sexaholics Anonymous, it just is like, talking about sex, I'm talking about pain, we're talking about abuse, we're talking... Imagine we were talking about your daughter, who was married to you. I would take the guy and throw him out the window. The old Chaim I would have killed. If I'm talking about my daughter. When I'm talking about my wife, I'm just talking about, yeah, I abused her, I belittled her, I shamed her, I, I hurt her, I convinced her, I made amends, I'm sorry, gone. Yeah. <coughs> I pay the bills, don't you, aren't you happy? Like, like, I go to work every day, like, like, like cut it out, like, what's the big deal? You know, men are pigs anyway, like, don't you get it? Like, think about your daughter. Think about your daughter. Think about the person you love the most in the world. Like, think about if you were able to, to be... <coughs> to be on the side, hiding in the closet while, while you know, your son-in-law walked into the house and didn't give your daughter an option. And your daughter's like, I'm really not up to it. And you're like, you already told me that yesterday. And you, I know you have a headache. Like, cut it out already. Don't you get it? Like, come on, could we? Like, 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 uh, like, I'll do whatever you want. Like, imagine sitting in the closet listening to that. Or whichever tricks of the trade you're trying to do. You know what I mean? You cleaned all, all the dishes already and you put everything away, you know? Like, imagine, she's like, I'm really tired, I just want to go to sleep. And you start, like, giving to her, the shaming her, like, like, and then you expect me to stay sober, right? No, I just want to put that out there. Like, imagine, like, imagine you sitting in the closet listening to that. I wouldn't last in the closet five seconds, I'd kill the guy. Like, it's so interesting that what our wife is really asking for is to be loved, and appreciated as least as the hooker or the prostitute. It's like, even when I was with, the, with women and they would say, like, relax. I'd say 100%. Uh, okay. We'll take it slow. My wife says that. What goes on in my brain is like, like, could you watch porn? Can you get, like, the industry? Like, hello. 
She's really just being asked to be treated like the stripper. <coughs> be a little like sensitive and caring and loving. You know, I said it a few weeks ago on when I was talking over here, like they're, they're really asked to just be treated like the woman in the in the coffee shop. So I was in the coffee shop the other day and this woman was like stands like right next to me and she definitely was triggering and my eye caught her and I'm grabbing the milk and like I literally needed to pray and ask God not to like like take care of her. And I realized the, the, the disease of sex. It's like I just wanted to like, like, like I wanted to do what all of you think you are thinking right now, basically. Like, like really wanted to. It's interesting. I turned around. The husband was right there. Like that would have worked out so good if I really tried something else. But um, and then I cursed. Automatic, my brain just went to like cursing him out in my brain. Like what a bastard! He gets this girl. I don't get her. Like, like right away. My wife has to have sex with that guy that thinks about all of this. My wife gets to have sex with the guy, let's be real now. Not the guy who in my brain is taking care and is, is staying sober and is loving and is, is so understanding and caring and gentle and, and financially stable. No, my wife gets to have sex with the guy who has that, that step one that we spoke about. And he's, and he's still not done because there's ten other things on his wish list which none of those sexual behaviors have to do with being nice and gentle with my wife. So this is not to shame ourselves. And let's get right to the solution over here. This is not to shame ourselves. This is not to beat ourselves up. This is just to ground ourselves and recognize that for myself, I am, I am a confused soul when it comes to this topic. And to really just tell everybody that... In my experience, if you shame your wife into sex or push her or manipulate her or do any of your tactics, the only thing that you're writing for yourself is a sentence to sit in therapy 13 years later and pay a lot, a lot of money to undo the damage that was done. So anybody that's listening to this or anybody that's, that, that wants something from this, I might have just saved you tens of thousands of dollars if you heed to my advice. Now, over the periods of years being in recovery, to be rigorously honest, there's been periods where we were enormously intimate and enormously loving and caring and sensitive and understanding. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the damage was done years ago in early recovery. And the damage was done at certain points, even not in early recovery, because I just didn't have the tools how to love her and be sensitive and caring. Even when I prayed. So some tools that I learned, some tools that I learned is, is really centering myself before, before coming home and being honest about it. Again, the problem is not sex. The problem is self-will. So if I get rid of self-will before coming home, I don't need that enormous amount of desire and craving for my wife for sex for her to fill my void because I lusted at it through another girl in the pizza shop. See, she didn't sit there making supper or taking care of the kids or doing gone is what she's doing, lusting after the guy. And now coming home and desiring sex because she's all rattled up and needs some sex. So I have to understand, firstly, that, that 
I need to clean my side of the street. So what I've been doing and I continue doing is a lot, a lot, a lot of prayer, an enormous amount of prayer. I am absolutely powerless over my desires and the need for sex. I pray a lot during sex. Actually, during sex, a lot of prayer. I don't visualize pornography scenes and try to play it out in my bedroom. That is a boundary that I just don't cross, no matter what. I found in early recovery, when I have gone there, it just made me afterwards more angry at my wife after having sex with her. She can never match up to those porn stars. Those porn stars are actors. They were hired. A lot of them were, were paid and shown what to do and not to do. A lot of them had to come to the studio hours before to get all dressed up and made up and sprayed up and brushed up and God knows what up. That's not what's going on here. My wife can never match. Oh, by the way, I could also never match the guy in the porn scene. <laughs> Whoops. As much as I think I'm who knows who. I can never be that guy either. So why should she be um, that girl if I can't be the guy? And by the way, having intimacy with my wife, raising a family, and being in a Jewish community, um, she's not involved in the porn industry. She just doesn't go for that. So if you, if, if I tell this to myself a lot of times, like I have to like just talk to my disease. Like if I want my wife, if I want a wife that's involved in the porn industry, then I need a new wife. And some people in recovery make that decision. And they leave their spouse, they get divorced, and they go elsewhere. And if you have anything to do with any news out there, those um, top celebrities, if we could call them, or famous people who chose to to leave their partner top celebrity for a different partner top celebrity, there's a, a, a rate of like 95% that end up leaving that one to go to the next one and leaving that one to go to the next one because the sex desire and craving of self-will can never be filled. <clears throat> never. I remember sitting in therapy and my therapist once asked me, so if you have a threesome, because that was like my big thing, I, I just wanted a threesome. He said, so you would never do orgies after that again? I said, I never said that. He said, I thought you said your biggest thing is the threesome. And then he was, of course I would want orgies. Okay, in English, group sex. If I triggered anybody, just, you know, surrender. Um, he said, and then after group sex, you're done? I said, absolutely not. I came to recognize that there is nobody that's ever done. This disease is a disease where there is no bottom pit. The bottom pit is when an old timer told me you put down the shovel and you stop digging. That is the last surface of the ground. <coughs> but if my wife gave me a blowjob, you know, the, the Jewish women don't, are not so into, you know, the whole blowjob. And, I, I, and what's crazy is I have a friend that I know that does get a blowjob from his wife. So, like, you know what I mean? Or the guy that's sitting in the room like, haha, I do get a blowjob. Like, if you're any happier in your marriage as a result. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, if you are happier. Like, if your sex life is better as a result. I came to recognize that if I go into my marriage bed 
if I go into my bed and I'm surrendered, then I could have <coughs> technically, and I think anybody who is sober a little bit in recovery, anybody who's gone into the marital bed and they were totally surrendered and at peace, and they weren't looking to compare their wife to somebody else or wishing they had the, the, the craziest insane sex, no matter how simple that sex act was, it was the most enjoyable, pleasurable moment. And we all could agree, there were times that we might have had the most craziest sex act possible. If we weren't pr- present and we weren't really surrendered, we walked away feeling like one only, only one feeling. Shame about ourselves, and I wish I could do it again, in a different way. <coughs> and I need to convince myself of this, otherwise, I just walk around and I feel it's not fair. It's absolutely not fair. Another important piece to bring up is, what worked for me is really asking my wife what she appreciates. It's not about me anymore. What does she appreciate? And most of the time they're gonna, you know, shrug, they're not comfortable talking about it. I remember coming back from an earlier convention and they said, you do the act, but you never talk about the act. It's important to bring up the conversation. I remember the first time I came home and I asked my wife, what do you appreciate or what do you like? And she looked at me like I fell on my head. Like I, like I have a choice, like, like I could tell you what I want or don't. What I like, what I like is for you to take 10 steps back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let me breathe. I remember once having an intimate conversation with my wife and then I said, what do you expect from me? You, you don't know anything about sex or, or anything like, so what do you expect from me? And she said, you never gave me a chance to even figure out what I like or not. When you were 10, you were already busy figuring out what you like. I didn't get a chance to figure it out and I'm 28. I wasn't into the sex till I got married. And you very quickly made sure I'm not into it once we got married. So where was the opportunity for me to learn about what I appreciate or don't? Take a few steps back and let me appreciate, but I can't take a few steps back if I'm not drained into recovery. By just telling me to take a few steps back, it doesn't work. And I wanna finish off this topic I could talk on for forever because there's so many, so many critical, critical, critical things. I do want to say that if there's anything that you are struggling with, it's worthwhile bringing it up and not holding it in. Speak to your sponsor. Don't speak to single sponsors. If you have a single, it's not, it's not fear to the sponsor. It's not fear for yourself. Speak to married people that are in recovery, that are working a lustry program, and talk about it. That's what I needed to do. I needed to get advice and talk about it. And for myself, and this is the last topic, after... After hitting my knees and after praying and after being sensitive and backing up and, 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 and giving my wife what she wants and trying to figure out our sex schedule, whether it's going to be once a week, once every other week, twice a week, when she initiates, when I initiate, she's going to hint to me. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to hint to her. We tried every trick and every trade of how it should work. I realized that it's very simple. I have sex trauma. Me, hi. Because more than the abuse that I did to my wife, I abused myself all the years through sex and lust. I sexually abused Chaim more than I sexually abused anybody in the world. So I, for myself, am very confused. And I went for professional help. 
professional help outside of SA. And wow, has it been a journey and I'm still on it, to be honest. I didn't even know, I wish somebody would have told me earlier today, that if you sit and masturbate <coughs> yourself till you're blue in the face to the point that you need Powerade to drink in order to get your stasserones more juiced up, in order to masturbate again, to the point that you're actually hurting yourself and it kills and you're doing something that physically is killing you and you keep doing it, I raped myself. I sexually abused myself sitting there and looking and trying to see that woman for hours and trying to get something on my phone because everything is blocked and I'm sitting there and I'm trying. And I'm, I sexually abused myself by going to places that are unsafe and dangerous. I abused myself. How am I supposed to now have an intimate sex life with somebody I abused? I'm going to the bar again and I'm taking myself and I'm an I'm a alcoholic. I don't belong in a bar. I needed that humility and that understanding. And um, if you've been trying and trying and trying to figure this out and, and you're really working the program and it's still not working, what I'm suggesting is go for help. <laughs> go for help. Um, like I said, a key, a key element is page 68 in the, in the big book, which I've read God knows how many times. You know, I, I wish we could just read it now. It, it's very, very powerful, and I really, really recommend it. But something else that I've recommended to numerous people, and it's changed their lives in program, is page 23 in the white book. After Roy K. says his entire sexologue story of his acting out and everything, he, on page 23, the last chapter, working the steps, there is like one, two, three, four, five paragraphs where he summarizes his entire recovery. Everything, A to Z. And I've, I've, I've read this and read this and read this and read this. And for me, it's been enormously helpful. Because there are times that my wife and your wives are just not in the mood of sex and not in the mood of lust. And they're not in the mood of, they're never in the mood of lust. And I shouldn't be in the mood of lust either, by the way. Um, but they're never in the mood of, of any, they're just not in the mood, right? And w what do I do then? Now, once I'm in the fire, if I'm not prepared beforehand, it spirals. It's too late. I need to prepare myself. I need to marinate myself in getting rid of self-will prior to it. I do want to say and be very clear, there are some times that I've done all these tools and I'm in therapy and nothing is working. And I need to pick up the phone and just freaking lose my mind on somebody. That the whole thing is not fair and it's why and how come and I'm pissed like hell and I'm so jealous and I'm so angry and just lose it. But the beauty is I lose it on somebody else screaming and yelling and cursing out everything and anything that exists. But I don't abuse my wife anymore. That train has, has gone. I verbally don't abuse my wife anymore. I physically, emotionally, I mentally don't. <coughs> that train has gone. So if nothing works and I gotta just punch the wall or scream or yell, that's what I gotta do. And then after letting myself loose over there, the guy could turn around to me and say, hey, it sounds like you still got a little bit of self-will left. And I could then do the work. And sometimes it sucks. Sometimes it, it means at night crying myself to sleep, but not pressurizing my wife to, for having sex. Just because I have an erection doesn't mean my wife needs to have sex with me. It means I need to go to the bathroom and take a leak. 
is one of the greatest tricks Harvey taught me ever. If you got an erection, you wake up in the middle of the night or in the morning, and you think like, oh my God, do I need sex, and the bitch sitting right next to me doesn't want to give me sex. She's sleeping, obviously she doesn't want to. Then just go to the bathroom and take a leak. And it works fabulously. But no more abusing or shaming or belittling my wife into, into convincing her to do something that she doesn't want to. It is unacceptable in this program. We've put our wives through hell and back. We will never know the pain and destruction of what we have caused our wives. Something that I've done for a very long time is spend every day a minute on just thinking about if my wife was me and I was her. We sit in this fellowship saying how sick we are, how insane we are, how crazy we are. It's almost like a competition of who's the craziest guy. But then when we come home, we're saints. We're sober, serene, healthy people and our wives are lucky to live with us. Let her listen to your 10 shares in the meeting or your last... Let her live in your head for five minutes. I want to run out of my head living in my head. She has to live with me? No more abuse or harm. I want to get to questions and answers, but I got to read this. My continuous freedom is based, again, this is on page, this is page 24, in the middle of, like I said, page 23, 24, 25. My continuous freedom is based on my attitude. If it isn't open to the grace of God and others, I'm in trouble. I can take the first drink again anytime I want, inside my head, without so much as batting an eyelash. I could take the first drink just lying in my bed and just lusting. I don't have to do anything. So I gotta be very aware of it. That's why my continuous sobriety is predicted on maintaining a spiritual program, right attitudes about others and myself. I gotta constantly in a right frame of mind and attitude, because if I'm not, I cannot stay sober. Here we go, healing in my marriage. Healing in my marriage and in the family is one of the most blessed areas of of this new life. Even though things aren't always a bed of roses, I've found something better than lust, reality. But I have to be willing to give up. I wish I could take a vote on this. (laughs) But I have to be willing to give up any thought of changing partners. I have to be willing to give up any thought of changing partners. Either actually or in fantasy. Oh, I'm not going to actually change partners. Obviously, I'm not going to change partners. I can't even fantasize about changing a partner. Even if it means not having sex at all, I still can't fantasize. I still can't wish I had a different partner. Even if it means not having sex at all. You know what kind of strong program I need, I need to work in order to be so spiritually fit that even if my wife doesn't want to have sex with me at all, I don't fantasize of being with a different woman. Each time I have to surrender my right to sex and depend on the grace of God. Well, what else can you call it? And there are times my wife and I have gone without sex for extended periods. 
But that's all right. Sex is optional now. I have a choice. A mutual voluntary period of absence for a year or so have proven to be most constructive and happy times of our entire marriage. Periods of abstinence. It's something I haven't done, long periods, but there are short periods that I have gone through, and it sucked like hell. My experience just sucked like hell. But some people need it. Like I said, I could only give you my experience. Here we go. For me, the key was finally giving up all expectations of either sex or affection. Giving up all expectations of either sex or affection. And working on myself and on my defective relations with others. The big book says the same thing. If my sex drive is very high, the only thing that works and will diminish my sex drive is intensively working with others. So the key was finally giving up all expectations of either sex or affection from my wife. It's a very, very heavy topic. It's something, like I said, I still um, have a lot of work in. I'm in therapy today even to deal with this topic. Um, Sometimes shame comes up for me because I wish I dealt with it earlier. Um, But one thing I do know, like I said before, if you don't deal with it in the beginning, and the only way to deal with it is really by drowning yourself in recovery, then later on it's just going to poke at its ugly head and it could really be damaging and hurting. I cannot believe today my marriage is so wholesome and so real and so loving and caring to the point that my wife like, like tells me, is like, 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 I wish our children marry somebody like you. She says it straight out. She adores me. We are honestly lovebirds today. And yet with all of that, Yet with all that, there is a, such a strong piece of trauma right there because I simply hurt her. And that piece needs to be dealt with and that is a very sensitive, sensitive, sensitive area. And the program says, I need to give up all expectations, all fantasy, all ideas of having a different woman that's going to take care of me. Somehow my brain processes that when my wife doesn't want to give me sex, the solution is to fantasize about another woman that would be willing to give me sex now. It's insanity. It's literally blowing my brains out. So that's it I got on this topic for now. And thank you for letting me share. We'll try to quickly take some questions if there are any. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Um, it sounds like you were saying about the expectations that you shouldn't have any, or I shouldn't have any. Um, I'm kind of wondering, like, what about that part of, like, yeah, being a guy and just wanting to have sex? So, part of programs really to just not have that expectation at all in the marriage. So, two things. First of all, so what do we do with the, the question? Is what do we do with the part of? Not having a, any expectations of a man, I need something, like, like give me a break, like, like what am I supposed to do, right? So I tried that attitude is what I'm trying to explain. I tried that attitude of, but I'm a guy and I need it. 
and it caused me endless amount of misery. What about the guy who's an alcoholic? What do you mean? Everybody goes to the bar after work. Everybody. I'm a guy. I can't just go to the bar. I won't even drink. I'm just going to go to the bar with the guys. The answer is especially, especially in early recovery, which means the first, they told me five years in recovery. They first told me one year. Then when I hit one year, they told me three. Then when I got three years, they told me in AA, they say five, you know? After five, I said, I don't want to hear what they say anymore, you know what I mean? But early recovery especially, no. Expectations is the, is the key to, to brewing a resentment and, and getting angry. And, it, and it's work. It sucks. The honest truth is, yes, it sucks like hell. And that's why Roy K. talks about the words he uses, dying to this disease. And most people in our fellowship don't die to the disease. We come here to stay sexually sober and not abuse other women out there and cheat on our wives. But not die to the disease. I'm still a man. I'm entitled to something. And eventually that creeps and creeps and creeps. And after one, two, five, ten years, you just lose your sobriety. And you go back out there with a vengeance. I need to die to this disease. And the only way to do it is by really delving into the white book, into the big book, into really getting this into my soul and guts, into really, really letting this go. <laughs> yes. Can I ask one question? Can I share an experience? No. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. The, the reading that you read it, it says, I give up all expectations of sex and my faction. Faction to me is a much bigger deal mm. than sex. I was waiting for somebody to pounce on that. Um, I can't even fathom <laughs> not needing that from my wife, especially. I understand, of course, to get support from people here and all that. That's what this is for. But at the end of the day, you know. I think the reason, the question is, it says, the question is really, it was my question for years in program. It says on page 23, you have to give up not only sex, but you have to give up affection. So lust is for sure, it's a given, he doesn't even, you don't even need to mention it. Sex you got to give up, and then you got to give up affection. And the question is like, why? What do you mean? Like, it's, it's a similar question to what you just asked. Like, I'm a man, like, I, I'm supposed to give up everything, so what, am I supposed to be a saint? I'm supposed to be like a living saint, and it really bothered me a lot. I don't know the difference between sex and affection in early recovery. Let's be rigorously honest. You know what affection looks like? Honey, you want to have sex? If your wife gives you, I could talk for myself, my wife gives me the ultimate affection, but she doesn't want to have sex with me. The affection does, in English, shit. Nada. I came to recognize that if my wife gives me a lot of affection, I become horny from it. I am so wired in reverse and confused. When my wife is loving and, and is adoring me and everything, I think she wants to have sex. She's giving me affection. What's the problem? I just want affection. No, I don't. When she doesn't give me affection, I'm pissed. Just give me affection. When she does give me affection, I'm pissed because now you just you got me all riled up because I think we're going to have sex. When she gives me sex, I'm pissed because I don't even want sex. I just want affection, right? But I really do want sex. I just don't want that type of sex. And, the, and, and we just spin and spin and spin and spin and spin. And the, for me, I needed to, again, I need to die to this disease. Die, which means working. 
When a guy comes in here and, and, and claims that he was sober for six months, a year, two years, and then he lost it, or he never really was sober, a lot of people get very shaken up. I get very uncomfortable by guys saying they're sober and they're not here all the time. I don't know how that's physically possible. I get shaken up the other way. In this fellowship, I was taught guilty until proven innocent, not innocent until proven guilty. I'm addicted to sex and lust. I couldn't stop. Now by coming to one or two meetings a week and, and, and I call my sponsor, I did some reading, I'm somehow staying sexually sober. I don't know how it's humanly possible. I don't know how it's humanly possible. You're all asking the same question. How could I give up lust? How could I give up sex? How could I give up affection? I can't unless I find God, really find him. Really intuitively find him. And even then, it's hell. The other day I called up Shaul, literally losing my mind. The day before that I called up um, Shmoli, losing my mind. Yesterday I was talking to Shmoli. It's hard. Even though I'm sober for 12 and a half years. It's hard like hell. And certain times I need to actually die to it. And it's either dying to it or die. I'll finish off with this, with this story and we'll end it. I was sober for like two years. My wife was going through a period. She wasn't interested in, in having sex. And I remember being so pissed like hell. And then finally, the night came and we're going to be together. We're lying in bed. I'm literally about to have intercourse. We're allowed to use these words in this program. I'm about to have intercourse with my wife. I am ready to go. I couldn't be more ready to go than ready to go. And also my wife had a trauma attack. Now, I didn't know at the time she had a trauma attack. What simply happened was, she's like, I'm done. She went to her bed, covers, everything, dressed, not a word. And I'm lying there, like you could all imagine. You know, in my brain, my erection is already like 10 inches, right? In my brain, I'm already ready to, to I could have sex with, with, with the ceiling. I, I, am, I, am, I am wired up. And the feeling inside of me is F this effing, effing blank and B. And if I lose it, it's her. And I hope all the SNNs tell her it's her because how dare her do this to me? This was like one of those. And I'm going to tell the whole program. And uh, You know when you're like so right that you know you're wrong? Like, uh, and I remember like, I just remember because, and this is key. <coughs> I'm marinated in recovery. My passion, my, my strongness sometimes is because I am so marinated in this program that I could actually look at lust in the face and stand free. I could go places where the book book says anybody could go. I'm marinated in recovery, but pissed like hell now and resentful like hell. But all, here comes the, all the tools and all the anger and self-will and tools. And I remember getting out of bed and it's like, I remember that thought, like, you know something? F you, you're not taking away my sobriety. And I remember bawling and crying and going to the bathroom, like I said, taking a leak. And for the next hour, two hours, being pissed like hell. If you haven't gone through any of what I'm talking about, like, I don't know which program you're in. You know what I mean? To some level, shape, or form. I remember crying myself to sleep. And, you know, I'm making a joke out of it because it was so painful. It was like, oh, my God. It was like, like divorce is not, like, maybe happening. It's over. You know how many women want me, by the way? In my head, you know how many women are out there lining up for me? 
until a guy puts himself on the market and realizes there's like nobody there for him. And then the next morning, I'll never forget it. I went to the meeting. I'm not sharing. For me not to share, you got to be pissed like hell. I'm not sharing. Stay by the meeting. Finally, I turned at 11.30 in the afternoon and I'm looking at my watch and I realized I, I'm going to a strip club come hell or high water. I'm pissed. And I remember with every ounce of not wanting to do this, I picked up the phone and I called Harvey. And Harvey in his keen way just burst out laughing. <laughs> you sound like a sexaholic! <laughs> He's laughing his head off. And I wasn't in the mood of any of that. I was not in the mood. I mean, I finally showed everybody in this program the woman who I married is an F and F and F and B. And Harvey said to me on the phone, Chaim, it sounds like you're in a bad place. You've got two choices here. Strip club or amends to your wife? Pick your choice. That's how recovery works. And I remember, what do you mean, Harvey? You are going to act out today. I said, and the other choice of making amends to my wife, what did I do wrong? She, makes, she owes me an amends. You know how much pain you had to cause your wife to get out of bed with you while you're right before you're about to have sex? You think if you weren't a sexaholic and treated this woman correctly all the years, she would be doing that? She did that because of the pain and hell you put this woman through. You owe her an immense for traumatizing her to the point that a regular innocent girl who's looking for simple, healthy intimacy with her husband, you took away from her that innocence. I remember hanging up the phone, and if, if you were ever in that resentful place, it was like, strip club sounds like a better option. And that was the feeling for me. And I remember, with zero energy, I went upstairs, <laughs> and I looked at my wife, and I said, could I give you a hug? I am terribly sorry for hurting you last night. And I remember her looking at me like, holy shit. She was ready for shame, blame, she was ready for me to have acted out. And instead, she saw an entire different person. And that's what this program provides. And that's the option, and that's what I need to still be doing after 12 and a half years in program. And that's why you get to have a beautiful marriage, by doing the things that make you uncomfortable to get comfortable. Is there a question? Yeah. Did you have makeup sex? <laughs> no, not then. No, no, no. Okay, I'm sorry for going late. Thank you for letting me share. Next week, step five. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.